0: This week on Recruiting Reflex, the latest U.S. job numbers look great, but what is the reality on the ground? Is HR bad at communicating how our pay is determined? And is social media dying? TRF with my dad and Shelly starts right now. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Surge and Shelly. I'm Surge.
1: And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now.
0: Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. Shelly, are you all bundled up? Because it's going to be minus 40 Celsius for the (laughs) next couple of days. Yeah, no, not exaggerating. Not exaggerating. We're going to have a high of minus 32 on friday and that's without the wind chill, which you add like 15 so it is the great white north right now shelly is yes. definitely feeling like winter but i'm not complaining we've had a mild winter and yeah. i know you don't like talking about the weather so we'll move <laughs> on
1: honestly next we're gonna go remember when which is the remember? lowest form of conversation is remember when Is it really? It is. It's a a quote from, did you ever watch The Sopranos? Of course
0: I watched The Sopranos. Yes.
1: Okay. The best line ever, Tony Soprano walks in and all the boys are down in the basement or, I don't know, in the garage smoking or whatever. And they were all talking about, oh, you remember when we did this? And Tony Soprano walks in and he sits down at the table then gets up again. And he just says back to them, the lowest form of conversation starts with, remember when? And he walks out. And it's so true. If you can't think of anything to talk about, talk about the weather or just get together and reminisce. But it's not the same as having conversations where you're talking about the future. Or you're talking about plans or setting goals, right?
0: Anyway. You know what? It reminds me to rewatch The Sopranos because – it was by far my favorite show of all time. I haven't watched it in 15 years. It's still out there on Crave here in Canada and HBO. So yeah. Yeah. I do want to call out uh, the audience. So we put out a survey and mm-hmm. we're trying just to be better at what we do. Obviously we're not perfect. We're still amateurs. We're improving a little bit, but we haven't really outside of asking people personally, what do you like? What you don't like? And the survey give us some really good insights. So Mm -hmm. anyone that's filled it out, thank you so much for someone that hasn't filled it out. It's three to four minutes. I would really appreciate it. It's a link on our recruitment flex on my personal LinkedIn profile, and we'll share it again in the comments of this episode guide that's coming on LinkedIn for everyone that has really appreciate. it. And again, we appreciate anyone listening to us. Like I'm still blown away that anyone wants to know what Shelly is thinking is still is pretty shocking, actually.
1: You know what? It, it is really insightful. There's been some really good suggestions. Really good yes. stuff we can implement um, like right away. So yeah, I put it out on my personal LinkedIn as well. You just copied my message you word by me word, Shelly.
0: yeah told me I could. Yeah, but I was expecting you to be a little oh. bit more creative. <laughs> change a few words I, like i'm sure nobody, and the worst thing about it is what? i was rereading it and i'm like it's full of grammar errors i'm like shelly like the perfect grammar writing I person know. copied what i wrote <laughs>
1: what i know you but just went anyways to i love GPT. it come on i know you didn't write that you went to i chat did GPT. not
0: I can tell. No, I would tell you if I went to chat GPT. I did not. But Shelley, I want <laughs> to jump into the news. Okay, you go. Are you ready for the news? I'm ready for the news. All right. So let's talk a little bit about job numbers. So US added 216,000 jobs in December. So it still looks good. But even with these numbers always being impressive every month, it seems like. There's just no slowdown to the labor market in the U.S. Americans are still saying they're dissatisfied with the economy. And usually one of the factors that we look at is the sitting president and what his approval rating. And if the economy is good in the eyes of the people, the approval rating is really good. President Biden's approval ratings are very low. And this is not political. It's just like in the history of time, usually those two things Correlate in some ways. In this case, is showing that the numbers are looking great, but the approval rates are looking down. There is something going on because, like, their unemployment rate in the U.S. is still at three point seven percent, which has mm-hmm. been almost two years of being under four percent. Average hourly wages rose by. 4%. from the previous year. But there is definitely a disconnect. And I I was trying to figure out why is there a disconnect? Why are people dissatisfied with the economy? Because the numbers are looking great, but people are not feeling it. They're feeling pressured. They're feeling Mm -hmm. it's really tight. The prices are high of everything. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Credit card debt is at a record high. Mm -hmm. Interest rates are at a 20-year high. Housing affordability is at a record low, and the U.S. debt is $34 billion, which is basically almost double what it was 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. So put that all in place, I think a lot of people are feeling a lot of pressure. So what's your overall take, Shelley, and what's going on with the U.S. labor market?
1: I think the wages just aren't keeping up. Will anybody ever be satisfied, especially in this North American economy, Canada being the same? Because if you look at the reasons for dissatisfaction that you just cited, it's the same here in Canada. Housing affordability, the interest rates, we're not used to these interest rates being this high after so many years of having the Bank of Canada rate so low, it was almost like free money. But I think at the end of the day... The biggest distinction between Canada and the U.S. is the fact that our minimum wage is so much higher, right? You look at the U.S. as a whole, like we're not tweezing out hourly versus salary versus tech versus trades. No, this is an overall number. So it's really hard to pinpoint one thing. But if I had to, I would point to wages just not increasing. And all of these other things crashing down in around us makes it really hard for people if you're ever going to get ahead, right?
0: Do you know what the minimum wage is in the US? The average is $7.85, which is basically the number that it was in 2009. So the same minimum wage as 10 years ago. Yeah, which so, we know how things have changed. So I can see why there's a massive disfaction out there.
1: Yeah, that's my two cents. Anyways,
0: I think you're right. And for anyone listening, please listen to the Andrew Flowers, the economist at Abcast because he mm-hmm. goes really in depth into the US labor market. So episode launching on Tuesday, listen to that one. Shelly, what else is in the news?
1: There was a great survey done by a company called Peninsula Group. They have a fairly large presence here in Canada, and they did a survey of what is the most concerning to small and medium-sized employers. What really stood out for me was a couple of things. First of all, skill shortage. Interestingly enough, these are small companies. Now, keep in mind, 46.5% of the companies they surveyed said to address the skill shortage, they're going to upskill their existing staff. Apprenticeships showed up at a 36% increase globally with Canada, get this, leading the way, 217% of Canadian small to medium-sized businesses will be using apprenticeships to fill the labor and skill shortage. There is a government program that helps employers that are offering the apprenticeship. Even to provide training for existing staff, there are government grants and programs that you can utilize. What it sounds like is the government of Canada has done a really good job ensuring small to medium-sized businesses are aware of these grants and programs.
0: Yeah, I love it. One of the things that maybe struck me in here is despite discussion on a four-day work week, mm-hmm. only 2.2% of SMBs globally have adopted it. Well, 50% maintain full-time in-office work, 147 offer flexible hours, and 10.1% implement a permanent hybrid working policy. Last year or the start of last year in 2022, the four-day work week was a big topic of conversation. Mm -hmm. We are not hearing much about it. And it it seems to be a dead concept right now. And it's only dead because where we are in the labor market, where employers, I feel even if the numbers are showing differently, definitely have the upper hand. And this is an interesting point when it comes to remote work or it, it looks at... Four day work week. A lot of it is not even driven by the CEOs. A lot of it is being driven by the boards. I think a lot of boards that are filled with a lot of old people are thinking four day work week, and you expect us to pay the same? Are are you fucking crazy? Uh, and I think we're seeing a lot of that. I don't think we're going to see the adoption of the four day work week in the coming years.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Before I retire, we might see it at a bigger number than it is right now, but. This shows us that it's not happening.
1: No. Did that surprise you? It's just not going to happen yet. 410s maybe, 410-hour days. Yeah. I think we're still very fixated on 40-hour work weeks.
0: Yeah, and I think this goes to a topic of conversation overall when we take a look at this survey is the reality has hit us, right? For certain roles, there is an exhausted workforce. You're looking at the Amazons. You're looking at a lot of retail. You're looking at hospitality. And there's a lack of skill sets in other sectors that are just not trained for the skill sets we need. So when we talk about reskilling and apprenticeship, I think this is one of the only solutions that we do have in reskilling and and to train them to be able to do the roles. We have no other choice because we just don't have the right skill set in the marketplace. We have a lot of people looking for jobs. We have a lot of employers looking to hire people it's just not matching and that's one of the biggest challenges that we will have in the next decade for sure Mm -hmm. so i love the approach Mm -hmm. shelly do you want to jump into the tip of the week
1: for sure tip of the week is brought to you by plum plum knows that when people flourish business thrives using science-backed insights plum aligns human potential with job needs allowing you to build high-performing teams from a single platform Ideal for improving hiring choices, identifying future leaders, and offering personalized career advice, Plum supports the entire employee journey from hire to retire. Discover more at Plum.io. Tip of the week. You should volunteer. That's everybody in our audience, TA professionals. There's so many benefits to helping a job seeker. Where you have no expectations in return, you're not promising to get a job. But, you know, I've always found that constant reminder and realizing what it's like to be a job seeker and having empathy for them, the agony of waiting for someone to respond and the disappointment of not mm-hmm. getting any feedback, sharing your knowledge, even if it's just one job seeker that you volunteer to help or somebody that's reached out to you asking for some feedback or advice on their resume, I would say this needs to be the year that all of us step up and share our knowledge with job seekers. I always have and found that it gives me really good insight into the job seeker experience. And they'll be forever grateful. Certainly, I've made some of the best friends ever by doing it.
0: I think that's a really good tip of the week. And if you're in the same situation as I am, you're getting plenty of requests from job seekers to help them out. So maybe pick one. And obviously it's, it's not holding their hands or anything like that. It's no. basically giving the knowledge and the tools and the advice that you've learned being on the okay. other side of it. Let's help the job seekers because we need them. We're going to need more of them as recruiters. Exactly. Perfect. Shelly, let's jump into the recruiting insights, and the recruiting insights are brought
1: to you by Metova. Shelly, are you tired of the same old outsourcing woes? Well, say hello to nearshoring. It's like outsourcing, but closer, and it won't make you pull your hair out.
0: Picture this. Top-notch IT talent from Latin America.
1: Many Latin American IT professionals have strong English language skills and even live in the same time zone. So no more midnight conference calls. Hallelujah. Plus, Latin America's growing tech ecosystem, strong educational institutions, and a pool of skilled IT professionals make it the perfect region for recruiting talent. I
0: have the perfect company that does this. The company's name is Mitova. They have local experts who handle everything from recruiting to HR support.
1: So why settle for the same old outsourcing blues when you can have the near-shoring party with Mitova? Look them up at
0: matova.com and let's get the fiesta started.
1: So for our first recruiting insight, I wanted us to talk about why HR needs to prioritize effective communication around pay. This time of year, everybody's talking about money, everybody's talking about pay, you've gotten a sense to whether or not you got your performance bonus or profit share, whatever it is that the the company offers. But it's also probably the most thankless part of anybody's job is the discussion around pay and pay policies and why do we pay the rates that we do. I came across this article, it was in HR Brew, and it was talking about a study that was done where just 38% of their respondents felt that they could effectively educate their managers about how to discuss pay with employees. Despite the fact that 84% of them are relied upon to communicate such information. So I thought wow just because you're in HR doesn't mean you are a superb communicator and the topic of compensation and how compensation is determined is very much a specialty. So reading through this article they did a lot of stats that reported what percentage of them are even disclosing pay ranges to employees. Yeah. And Do they ever plan to disclose pay rates to employees? Pay transparency has really opened up a can of worms because we all know the benefits of pay transparency when we're recruiting. But what about people that are inside the organization? And so imagine, Serge, maybe you've been with a company for 10 or 15 years and you've got a team of people working for you, all of which are paid at a different rate. And now with pay transparency, employees are coming to you and saying, Can you explain to me like how you came up with the amount that I'm being paid? Because I can see clearly now with pay transparency that it's above or below or whatever. It's usually below, right? What is now being openly discussed? I I think maybe the real problem here is that HR doesn't know how to explain it themselves. What were your thoughts on it?
0: I think there's a couple of key points. I don't think HR can explain it. I don't think hiring managers can explain it because I Mm. don't think most organizations can explain it. What naturally happens as company grows, it's like, all right, we need to hire this role what is the market rate? Okay, this is way it's getting paid and there's no consistency. So if you ask a lot of it, and obviously if you're looking at large organizations, there's a compensation team, there's a lot more structure around it. But as we know, the great majority of people work for small to mid-market type companies and that's where I spent most of my career and I can tell you asking these questions being on a talent acquisition front, I'm like how do we determine how we got to this particular salary? How do we determine what the incentives are in this particular department? And usually it's just so segregated finances come up of how they're going to pay their people, sales is going to figure out how they're going to pay their people and no one can explain because it's been done five years ago and people have just been getting their cost of living increase every year mm-hmm. and then it just becomes a massive mess, and we've seen this with pay transparency. There is tons of benefits for us talent acquisition professionals for HR and company leaders. It's, it's a disaster it's uh, for a lot of companies. Yeah. It's, it's so nasty. And I understand their pain, right? You think about say you're hiring software developers during 2021
1: mm-hmm. and
0: the price has almost gone up 50%, and now you have a workforce that's getting paid maybe 50% less than the new people coming in, it creates a lot of moving parts across the board. There's a couple of things from this article that were were really interesting. Is like, I don't think it should be hiring managers explaining how people are paid because the majority of frontline managers do not have the training, the expertise. I think the overarching is from the executive team, the leadership teams, they have to focus on making sure HR understands it and can explain it. Mm -hmm. And if you can get there, you start training your managers.
1: You know, the best example, when you use the example of certain job families at certain points in time, we're in high demand. Because now, had you brought up your entire workforce to match with those developers, the price has gone down. It yes. has gone down. And so imagine if you raised your entire workforce to match it. Now you've got people who are so overpaid, it would actually probably be cheaper to let them all go and rehire at the lower rate.
0: I can like, tell you no, that's it, it's complicated, sh- man. Because if you look at the tech sector and all the layoffs, I think pay transparency had some uh, relation to that as well, right? You went crazy in 2021, just staffing up, paying people the market rate. Then suddenly 2022, 2023 comes and it's like, yeah, the market is a lot softer. Now you've got 50% of your workforce that is overpaid yeah. It's probably had a factor to it. Mm-hmm. So Shelly, do you mm-hmm. want to jump into the next recruiting insight?
1: Boy, I tell you, I, I'm on a roll today. <laughs> you are.
0: It's all about Shelly today.
1: Oh, <laughs> Oh, gee, thanks, Serge. I wanted to talk a little about the cost of hiring the wrong candidate. There's always been numbers thrown around. Some of them are like enormous, like $10,000 is what it'll cost a company if they hire the wrong person for the job. So, this was a, a survey done, it was reported through Unleash. And they started out by saying the wrong person hired for the job can be nearly three times as expensive as when the right choice is made, according to this research done by a company called SHL, which does psychometric assessment. So the survey included 1,600 HR professionals from around the globe and found that, of course, we all agree that recruiting is becoming progressively more and more challenging every year. The focus, as we know, in 2024 appears that it's going to be on internal hiring which according to this survey, 57% of organizations are going to focus on internal. And when they have to go outside, they're going to rely on assessments throughout the hiring process. And so this article talked about the five ways that employers, what they can be doing to ensure that they avoid a bad hire. And as I read through this list, Surge, like nobody's going to disagree with assessments, hire for skills. Staying adaptive and agile, prioritize the candidate experience and make the most of your existing talent. Okay, so nobody's going to disagree with that. I read this article through twice and I thought, you know, the so one thing that's missing is getting the scope of work right to begin with. You're assuming that the anchor of this whole process is correct. When in fact, we know wrong hires is usually because You took an existing job description that already had 35 different skills required to do this job, added five more, and then sit back and wonder why you hired the wrong person. I believe wrong hires, a lot of them are just misaligned to the work that's required. And we're interviewing people based on an old set of skills rather than starting the process anchored and being super clear about what skills you need to do this work.
0: Mm. You are probably right, but I'll ask you a question. So the intake is basically what you're talking about there. What step do you think that is causing this misalignment more? So there's the initial intake of making sure you have the right skill sets, the right job description, then candidate selection, like who are you moving forward to the next step? And then the other factor is the interviewing. Those are the three critical element of choosing to hire the right person. Do you think the intake is a bigger issue than interviewing and selection?
1: Of course, because with you a, so? that's your anchor, right? Like your intake should drive your interview questions, should drive your selection process, should drive the assessments you're going to administer, what type of assessments. But if you're basing it off a guess or an assumption, or just doing whatever it is we did last year, or last time we filled this role, Hmm. that's the problem. You know, you're building a house on sand. Okay. You you don't have a solid foundation. And again, I, I don't disagree, like everything that this article recommends, but without doing the intake really well. Because you know, that's probably the biggest miss is missing the mark on the intake.
0: Yeah, you know, you have a good case there, because reading the article and thinking, okay, what is the biggest challenge when it comes to making the wrong hire? And my initial thoughts jumped right into a hiring manager interviewing. As you've interviewed a lot of people, and I have as well, and work with a lot of hiring managers, the interview in a lot of companies is still, even in well-reputable companies, is still lacking, is still a challenge. There's still hiring managers going rogue and asking their pet questions, Mm -hmm. and they think they can make a decision, and data shows that basically 50% of the time, the hirer decision is wrong. But you're right. The interview questions, the process, everything is anchored to that initial assessment. Like You can make the wrong hire by not asking the right questions. And I think this is where the intake is critical. But putting all of that in context, I think one of the trends that we are going to see is the days of easy apply are numbered. I think we are going to see a lot more friction in the hiring process. And we've both been advocating to remove the friction. And I'm still advocating for that. Like, remove the shitty friction. Remove the enter your information that's already on your resume type of friction. But I think we're going to see a lot more assessments, both on hard and soft skills. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see a lot more of proving that you can actually do what you say you can do. This is going to be the reality with so much noise in the market. Like if you're a large organization, you're getting 5,000 applications for one role. How do you bring it down to one and you make sure that's the right hire? So very interesting research. Highly recommend to everyone to read that. Thank you, Shelly. Mm-hmm.
1: You want to get the next one here, Serge?
0: Yeah, I get the next one because it's the last recruiting insight. And of course, I need to get the last word. So (laughs) this one is a little bit different. And I want to ask Mm -hmm. you a question, Mm Shelly. Let's go back five years to now. Okay. Do you use social media more now than you did five years ago or less?
1: So considering all platforms, honestly, like I am a ghost on social media. I was super active five years ago. So I'd say my use of social media is a fraction of what it was five years ago. How about
0: getting information, being on social media, looking at TikTok, X, Tread, whatever platform, would you say that's the same thing? It's definitely down? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I would say it's pretty much the same for me as well. And there was interesting research done by Gartner that I think is going to tell us a lot of what's going to happen in talent acquisition as well. As you know, I've been a big fan of influencer marketing, especially since it's not being leveraged in talent acquisition. And I think there's an opportunity when it comes to recruitment marketing in that sense, because I think the usage of social media is definitely going to decrease. Like the experience is completely different. We are seeing a lot of social media filled with bots, with just shitty opinions. It's become so politicized. I just want to get entertainment. I don't want to have a debate Mm -hmm. on all these political subjects that I know nothing about. And so I think it's turning off a lot of people on social media. So one of the things in the survey that I thought was really interesting is 53% of consumers believe social media has decayed compared to five years ago. I completely agree. And about 20% of brands will differentiate themselves by positioning against AI in their business and product, as 72% of consumers believe AI-based content could spread false information. I think where AI is really going to hurt us, Shelley... Like you mentioned at the start, like the post I wrote on LinkedIn, you said, oh, it must be Chat GPT, right? It wasn't, but a lot of the posts we see there, especially for corporations, corporation, nerd. are AI generative created, right? We're seeing like, do we trust this? Is social media a bunch of bots sharing information that was created by ChatGPT? So if you're an organization that is relying heavily in talent acquisition to recruit from social media, I think you have to start looking at what the alternatives are, because the marketing side of the business is realizing this, and there's going to be way less emphasis on social media marketing. Obviously, we're always behind, so it's coming for us. Shelly, anything you want to add to that?
1: No, that was great. That was great. Thank you, Serge. The one thing I did want to give you credit for was the fact that you had said, I think even a year ago that companies are going to be looking at influencers as a more trusted way to endorse their brand or their product. And that's what I took away from this research. That, and it's Gartner Group. So this is like rock solid stuff. Yeah, They talked about moving more towards influencers or user experience. You know, when I read that, that was really the first thing that jumped out at me. And that it is something that we need to pay attention to in the TA space, because it's coming the early leading indicators that that we need to be watching in talent acquisition is what's happening in consumer marketing.
0: Yes, and uh, I I want to finish on one point Shelly. You don't need to hire Joel Lalgie to be your influencer for your brand. You need to figure out internally who is really happy that works mm-hmm. there that wants to Build a stronger brand and be out there and promote your company. I think that really works. So I think that is the strategy and talent acquisition that everyone should be looking at. Shelly, another fantastic week. Thank I really you, appreciate sir. you joining every week. Every week <laughs> I click on the button to see, and Shelly is there. Shelly, have a great weekend. Enjoy the cold. Awesome. Au revoir.
1: To learn more and book a demo, visit www.rectxt.com. Mention the recruitment flex and get 10% off annual plans. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on the Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change